The following podcast is brought to you by long-term sponsor Atlas VPN. Support Moore's Law is dead by supporting this sponsor at the link in the description and make sure you use offer code Moore's Law to get Atlas VPN for just $2 a month. That's 82% off. And it is also brought to you by CDKoffer.com. Use offer code BrokenSilicon for 25% off Windows codes and DieShrink for 3% off everything on the website. All right, let's get to the show. Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, uh, A380 Tom. I don't know. That's all I could come up with in so- short notice. And I'm, of course, joined today, same every news episode, by my co-host. Uh, 1630 Dan. All right. I guess we have a theme. Good job. Good say. I, I think um, as much as the A380 is not standing necessarily on the strongest ground, I think I definitely chose the better one, as we'll discuss. The sixteen thirty. I think they're. I think they're more or less equivalent, Tom. Yeah, it's you know just a twelve nanometer GPU being released. Um, I mean, five years, four to five years after the initial versions of it came out, to fail to compete in any way, including price, with its competition. It's really great. Um, I'm sure it will get just as much hate as the sixty five hundred XT did. Right. Yep. <laughs> No. Anyways, we don't have any goofy reader mails. We don't have any corrections and omissions this time. It's kind of been a slower. Let me ask you, have you felt it? Has it felt like a slower news cycle these past two weeks? I mean, yeah, I, I, not that much has developed. I mean, the, over the past couple of weeks, over the uh, what's about to come out. I mean, we have some launches, I guess, but they're not huge launches, I would say. I mean, when I look over at like video cards, it's like some of these things could have been big news by themselves. But frankly, half of the things being shared on rumor websites are things we've already basically had like two months in a row every week in some form or another. Like, oh, look, another engineering sample, that type of stuff. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I think I said that to you before. Just there are only so many times an engineering sample can be interesting about an architecture, you know? I think so. A lot of these websites don't agree with us, but <laughs> <laughs> clearly. Um, uh, how are you doing? Eh, I'm pretty good. How are you doing? Um, I mean, I'm doing fine. Uh, as I've already covered on a recent die shrink, Reese has been diagnosed with cancer, so I've been taking care of her. It's interesting how sometimes she doesn't have as much of an appetite, but if I'm cooking chicken, oh, she's just ready to eat that right away. So I'm just kind of paying attention to how much of a lower appetite she actually has. And I actually like coached her with breakfast today and I just kept pointing to the food like, no, eat it. <laughs> and she kept looking up at me and looking at it and then just stopped and just ate all of it instantly and looked at me shaking her tail like, all right, I get it. I need to eat. And it's like, exactly. You need to eat. but. I don't know. So I guess, you know, if you want a longer discussion about it in the recent die shrink patrons, of course, get access to that. Um, but it is, you know, one of those things that I've been having to deal with. So if it, there's a little lighter release co- schedule of content here and there. Yeah. Um, forgive me. <laughs> I'm dealing with a dog who has cancer. 
Um, but for now, she's mostly fine. She still goes on runs. She still goes hiking. So she still has got a good quality of life. And um, there's still not going to be any interruption to the um, rollout of the content that we that's promised to our fans, like Broken Silicon, which we're now moving to do video uh, every time that we can. In other words, not like every other episode, but hopefully almost every episode and at a higher quality. Uh, we want to be able to promise we're always going to do video episodes and actually add pop-up graphics and actually turn it into more of a produced show if we get to the next Patreon goal, which we do need our patrons because the video I put out Friday, here's a PSA in the beginning as well, just didn't pop up in subscription feeds. I saw dozens of comments <laughs> saying and patrons messaging me on the Moore's Laws Dead Discord. By the way, I was never notified this video came out and it's not even on my subscription channel page on YouTube. And then I realized this weekend that I don't know how they do it, but clearly there's some software some advertisers use that knows somehow when I posted an ad in a mm. video from them. I They usually alert me, thanks for posting the ad before I tell them it's out. <laughs> they never told me. So clearly somehow whatever software they're using to track my content release also didn't pick up that a video came out from me on Friday. So just throwing that out there because we really do need the patrons because sometimes YouTube just doesn't tell people we've posted content. And well, I, I, I yeah, go on. If uh, my understanding of YouTube is correct, it's every 18 to 24 months, they want to make people uh, press a new button to actually uh, get the things they're subscribed to. Um, it's a thing that like every YouTuber I've ever followed has complained about. Like, yeah, now you have to ring the bell button to get notifications. And YouTube has considered make curating your subscription, your subscribed video feed, which makes zero sense. You would think that the subscription feed would just be all the channels you're subscribed to. But nope. Oops. All Colbert videos. I, I don't <laughs> think uh I don't think they've moved to do that because there was a bunch of blowback from that after like people are like, okay, you make the landing page of your website essentially curated to what you guys want. Just have one thing that makes it easy to look at a, your subscribe videos list. YouTube goes, we heard you loud and clear. We're removing the downvote button, making it harder for you to find your subscribers, uh, <laughs> your subscriptions. All right. We're going to get back to work. Have fun, everybody. Yeah. All right. Well, after since we don't have any corrections or omissions, though, I suppose let us because just we're jump, perfect, right? because we're perfect and never make mistakes. Of course, let us move on to the first story. Story number one, WCCF Tech assembles an early Intel A380 review, quoting with bits and pieces here from an article from WCCF Tech. Intel's ARC A380 discrete graphics card has finally launched in China. While a couple of initial reviews have been posted, we hadn't seen a more holistic overview yet, so we ourselves decided to reach out to some of our Chinese colleagues. We got our hands on the official data provided for the A380 GPU then as well, which tells the story of Intel's first real discrete graphics cards with tons of potential. They underline this in the article over and over, potential. It has 1,024 FP32 cores, 6 gigabytes of GDR6, of 16 gigabit per second speed over a 96-bit bus, resulting in 192 gigabytes per second of bandwidth and a thermal board power configurable between 75 watts, not requiring a six-spin, to 87 watts or even higher if AIBs wish to clock at that high above 2.35 gigahertz. Um, now let's get to the juicy part. We have already seen benchmarks of six games that were leaked earlier. We can add at least 20 more titles to that arena from talking to some of our contacts. The A380 overall seems to, at this moment, 
In most games, trade blows with the RX 6400 and less occasionally with the NVIDIA's GTX 1650. It actually beats the 6400, though, in Total War, Troy, uh, Naracata, Blade Point, The Witcher 3, and F1 2021. Here is also where the story, though, gets really interesting in a fine wine way for AMD fans. And readers of the site will be familiar with the idea that a popular term, fine wine, was used for AMD's ongoing post-driver development back in the days when it used to be cash-strapped and was the underdog. In many ways, I would actually just jump in here and say that was not a good thing. You would want the drivers to work perfectly when GCN launches, not five years after people have already bought an NVIDIA card. But, and they're kind of alluding this may be a thing again with Intel. In continuing then in the article, allow me to expand. The Intel Arc 380 absolutely crushes the GTX 1650 and RX 6400 in 3D Mark's x benchmark, and it even beats the RX 6500 XT. So very clearly, the hardware potential is right there, and only the software seems to be lacking. It is clear that the development team must have optimized drivers for the synthetic benchmark first, and this shows that the true locked potential of the hardware is there. Based on what we are seeing in 3D Mark times by the Intel Arc 380 could turn out to be an absolute bargain for gamers but the onus is very much on intel to continue to develop its drivers and deliver the performance potential that we are seeing in that synthetic benchmark after all the end of the day all that matters is with whether intel is able to deliver on its performance per dollar value proposition which is awful seeing leaks and rumors and actual pricing in other countries that this card could be 150 dollars so if all goes well this could be an almost rtx 3050 with six gigabytes of RAM for $150, which frankly would be what I basically leaked, what, a year ago? Over a year ago? I don't even know how long we've been covering this one. Um, But as it stands right now, it's basically, at worst, a 6400 with six gigabytes and for the same price or maybe slightly cheaper than a 6400. But um, yeah, I don't know. There's been a lot of leaks of various benchmarks, and I've seen people dunking on and then hyping up the card back and forth. What do you think about the A380? There's a lot of people are arguing about how good it actually is online right now. You know what I would say is, um, assuming that the MSRP in China can be directly translated to the US MSRP. And is, it's usually close, unlike some other countries. I, I mean, I don't know if I would what I would bet on. I, I don't think it would go over 170 in the US, but that's might just be stupid conjecture for me. But if it lands at $150, I think even the bad scenario, this is probably the best budget card to buy on the market when it comes out, you know, like if it, if yeah, it, when we look at the, the, I mean, I've seen so many people arguing over like, oh, look how this laptop version of Alchemist performs in this one game. And it's like, yeah, but the laptop constraint tdps like i again like i've already pointed out i can find examples of a 3060 losing to like a 1660 ti laptop let's not look at laptop benchmarks and you know just assume it means everything um but it's interesting when i look at the worst case scenario here from what wccf tech is reporting on it doesn't seem that bad it's a 6400 with more ram similar power consumption lower price yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why I say the the even the bad scenario for them seems pretty damn good. And if it the Time Spy benchmark is a harbinger for how their uh, uh, drivers are going to age, then four or five months from now you might have something better than a sixty five hundred XT with more RAM for less money. That sounds right. like a win 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 to me. 
And and we still have yet to see, or at least I haven't looked into like a roundup of the overall ray tracing performance. But the idea is it seems to be about as good as RDNA 2 anyways as well. I mean, so yeah, the interesting thing is 128 execution units. So if I multiply that by four for a best case scenario and performance or something, it's interesting. I don't think it's going to be that simple, but if I were to multiply it by four, I still get close to a 3070 in performance with the bad case scenario. I, I'm sorry, like... And if I look at, and I'm looking at tech power up, just it's a very lazy way of doing things, but whatever. Yeah. You know, if I look at the 6500 XT, let's even just assume they triple the performance of that with something with four times the execution units. Again, you're looking at something around a 3070 Ti there. So I don't know if they will. At, probably not at launch, I think we can say. <laughs> but I think the evidence is there that if they keep working on it, if they stay the course, Alchemist can be good. And even in its worst case scenario, the pricing we're seeing in China, it's going to be priced like something you'd probably choose to get anyways. Yeah. Uh, honestly, the this news out of the A380, I, I don't think I could have expected something better for the A380 than this. This sounds ideal. And people have been talking about how terrible the uh, entry-level market is. Well, here's your answer to it. And the only thing I would tweak is it's like, what did I expect? Mm, I expected it to be closer to $190, but also be about the performance of a 6500 XT. All right, well, the drivers aren't done. They're going to charge 150 Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a good stopgap card at a minimum if you need that. Mm -hmm. Nori writes in, do you think reviewers would go soft on Intel if they ever release their desktop GPUs? And do you think they actually should go harder or softer on them in general? I think reviewers should be fair. I, I, you know, like what I think reviewers should do is just not try to harp too much on other things coming out after and just go, all right, let's just be fair here. This is how it performs. This is how much energy consumes. And this is what its price is. If you were to buy this right now for this performance, this efficiency, this price, and are the, assuming the features are at least good enough, is this a good card? And then that should be how they score the card if you wanted to give it a number score, although I kind of hate number scores on these products. And then after that, you just go, remember, Lovelace launches in a few months. But at the end of the day, I, I, I don't know what else you can do. I don't think they should go too hard or too soft. I do think most reviewers would do one or the other, though. Yeah, I, I, I just don't know what the purpose of going hard on the Intel GPUs would be if... I, like if there's big massive issues with the arc launch against the cards that are currently on the market you criticize them for that i don't see why you would deduct points for them reaching the level of performance amd and uh, nvidia did i guess a year and a half later but i mean it's not like that's te from a technological standpoint that's ideal but it's still compare they're still competing with what's currently on the market so i don't see how you can criticize them for things that don't exist yet yeah and i i just to elaborate on what i said before like this card has been these cards alchemist cards have been such a long time coming you know you've had people saying it's going to perform like a 3080 although i always said distinctly from the beginning they don't think it will reach a 3080 the goal is a 3070 or 3070 ti and then you've had other people saying it won't even beat a 3060 for some absurd reason. Like, 
I just think no matter what you do, most reviewers, hopefully not the ones we follow closely that I think go out of their way to be fair, but I think a lot of reviewers are going to have their emotions get in the way. I'm just guessing here. And they're either going to slam the card because it's coming out too late and it should be to 3080 now, or they're going to go easy on it because they're just happy the card ever came out in the first place. I don't know. I feel like expectations are really going to weigh heavily on this card for a lot of a lot of reviewers. Uh, I mean, probably that seems to be that seems to be what happens right now. Uh, it seems that sometimes uh, critiques are critiques of the market and less critiques of the actual product itself. Uh, yeah. All I can say is, ho- hopefully, it's evaluated for what it is. Yeah, the only other thing I'd add to this card, if I were to like speak to reviewers ahead of time, and I guess I probably will, and I I am, <laughs> is <laughs> I just want to remind them. Remember, like, let's say, you know, let's just even make it a little pessimistic. Let's because it's totally possible. Let's just say they they like the A seven seventy comes out. It's around a thirty sixty Ti, but it has sixteen gigabytes of RAM. Let's say they charge four hundred dollars for it. It's a four hundred dollar. 3060 Ti or maybe even 350 or something. And they're like, yep. So, you know, we're giving you a 3060 Ti for a little less with double the memory. I know it's out late, but here it is. I would remind any reviewer that goes, oh, well, this isn't good enough to compete with a 4060. That might be $400 and only $50 more that the 4060 is not launching right away. That the launch release schedule is likely 4090, 4080, 4070, then 4060 early next year. That, yeah, it's cute that you think a 4060 will crush this, but that's coming out half a year from now. Yeah. I, I, I mean, yeah, they, when a company I think is very clear or, or is doing well with uh, their product development, they release the top end first because why wouldn't you release the top end first? Exactly. And so just a reminder to everyone before they dunk on Alchemist as well, it's like, well, keep in mind that. You know, at least this is servicing a part of the market that Lovelace and RDNA 3 are not going to service right away. Yeah. Um, or maybe but, ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe ever. I, I do wonder how low RDNA 3 will go and how many the truly low end before 400 is just going to be rebrands. But that's a discussion for another episode. For now, let us move on to a different low end card, if you can even freaking call it that launch. Story number two. The GTX 1630 gets released, and it's terrible. Quoting from Tech Power Up, Today we have for review the Gainware GeForce GTX 1630 Ghost. This card is a real, in quotes, ghost from the past, as it's the first GeForce GTX product we reviewed in almost two years. The 1630 is surprisingly a brand new SKU being launched today based on the older Turing GPU architecture and positioned in the 16 series, which lacks ray tracing or DLSS support. The 1630 is to become NVIDIA's new entry-level product then. And it's not just an older architecture, but it's Silicon is also built on the older 12 nanometer FinFET node. Why NVIDIA decided to launch this now is really anyone's guess. Perhaps the company was sitting on a mountain of 12 nanometer TU-117 chips bound for GeForce MX Mobile SKs and decided to rope in the desktop segment to consume some inventory. But what I've been seeing, by the way, everybody, a lot of these have the full PCIe lane, so I actually don't even know. I think it's actually based on TU-116 and cut down or something like that for a lot of these. So it's actually worse than that for a lot of them. But... Based on its positioning, the 1630 is supposed to compete with the RX 6400 and soon the A380. 
Averaged over our whole test suite at 1080p resolution, though, we find the GTX 1630 severely lacks in performance. Even the 6400 is much, in all caps, faster by a whopping 60%, just like the slightly weaker than 6400-1650. I'm sure we all expect a lower performance from a card numbered 1630 compared to 1650, but guys, this is quite a lot. The Radeon Arc 6500 XC is even twice as fast as the 1630, just like the Pascal-based GTX 1060. Compared to the GT 1030, the 1638 does offer a huge jump in performance, tripling it overall, How, over, but I'm not sure if that is enough muscle for 1080p gaming anyways, even at reduced details. Tech Power Up reached out to NVIDIA, but they couldn't provide any additional materials, not even a press driver, no reviewer's guide, and so we're not aware of the actual NVIDIA philosophy behind this launch at all. A price point of $150 has been floating around for the 1630 based on the testing in this review. $150 is just way too high, and I can't imagine it would attract many buyers. The 1630 only offers a fraction of the performance of competing cards, looking at the performance per dollar charts. Very light gaming is barely in reach for that scenario, and for my money, I would go for something like a used 574 gigabyte for 120, a 1066 gigabyte for 140 used, or a 6500 XT going for $175 right now. And then he just lists more powerful cars that I don't think, you know. So I, I don't know. This is this is honestly worse than I expected it to be. And I, I don't expect much out of something with a 30 at the name. The only 30 that has ever really impressed me is the GT 1030, which I thought was an interesting product at the time. Um, what do you think about the 1630, Dan? I mean, if it launched for like $120, maybe $110, I don't think there would be much to say, but at $150, it's competing with what three or four cards at around the same price that are obviously better or will soon be competing. Like you have used 1650s, which Honestly, I wish they, if they were re-releasing TU-117, it would have been better if they just launched more, more 1650s. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> unless there's for some reason they need to be disabled by, what, almost half? But, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. This is kind of, th there's no point in this card. The 6400 is better. That's on the market right now. The 6500 XT is a better option. That's on the market right now. The A380 will be a better option when it's on the market in the u.s and you know i'm pulling up I, I i agree with his assessment this thing struggles to run anything in fact i would almost and i don't mean this in like a argumentative way i if anything he's going easy on it well like if I, mean, I were to review this card and i did just recently do a review roundup where i tested r9 380 uh you know so like the precursor of the 480 uh, the 560 is a stand-in for kind of the 1050, 1050 Ti performance level, a 3050 and a 6500 XT and a 1650 absurd edition. Remember everyone listening to this, it was a 1650, I believe, I don't remember if it had an eight pin or a six pin, but it like had GDR six with 80% more bandwidth than a standard 1650. It was an absurd card that, you know, of all of those cards, I found the 6500 XT was enough, but you don't want to go above 1080p usually. Um, and then the 1650, I was a little insulted by its performance already. And I found anything below that. And that included even things like a 660 Ti. I was like, it's time to upgrade, guys. <laughs> like, this is really having issues doing anything. This is, this is, I mean, this yeah. is, I mean, this can't even, even game in 1080p low. 
even at lowest settings, the, yeah, their their average was 56 frames per second. Um, which once again, if this were like an ultra ultra low price, it was price like 80 bucks point, with no required six pin. Then sure, yeah, or like a hundred bucks. I think that would be fine. I I don't know why you would want to buy it, but I guess this is something that's available to you. Uh, but it, with their sweet having below 60 fps it's just at lowest possible settings it's really hard to suggest anyone buy that i mean again it's i'm looking at resident evil in 1080p and this is a game where the 6500 xc that tons of people bash is getting almost 80 frames per second with good settings so it's again this is like you know better than series s performance i yeah it is it's, it's yeah if you play in 1440p you can even turn on some of the ultra settings and game better than an xbox series s with a 170 card who's saving 30 dollars to run this at 20 frames per second and i mean it's weaker it's just it's just it's just, i don't understand the point uh, this card is so bad i don't get why they did it uh, i <laughs> i don't know what else to say yeah or how much are 6400s going for now spend literally 10 more dollars for what is that like almost double the performance in some games like yeah it, it's and it uses it's less energy. That's what makes it hilarious is you'd think maybe they would find a way to make this less, but I, I don't know. They're, this is clearly a mix of like larger dies that they've cut down by like 80%, just literally getting rid of the rest of their 12 nanometer. I don't know. I I, <laughs> I don't want to hear anyone complain about the 6500 XT ever again, though. I just want to throw that out there ever again. This is, this is a bad card. This card can't even run games. Like, I, it's... Uh, all right. Let's move on to a <laughs> graphics card on an entirely different end of the performance spectrum. Story number three, Moore's Law Z releases renders of the leaked, in quotes, RTX 4090 Ti engineering sample cooler. On June 23rd, Tom, with the aid of a new rendering contributor, Jean-Philippe Clermont, broke down what the 4090 Ti sample leaked in May actually looked like, and more importantly, how big it was. And in summary, it honestly looks almost exactly like a RTX 3090 Ti with internal tweaks to the heatsink and presumably the fan, but nothing even close to a major redesign, which is what NVIDIA did between Maxwell and Kepler. So they do this sometimes. In terms of size, it almost certainly seems to be a full 3 to 3.25 slot thick card, which should be noted is bigger than technically how big the heatsink and cooler stretched out on the around 2.75 slot thickness of the 3090 and 3090 Ti. People must be reminded that if you look closely, the 3090 has three brackets for slotting into three slots with a graphics card, but the cooler itself actually doesn't extend all the way down. As far as we can tell, this just fills up the full slots and bulges over slightly. So overall, the conclusion is that either this leak from May was a semi-elaborate fake where someone had curiously not taken pictures of certain angles of the card, only showing parts that people usually don't look at closely, or it's simply an engineering sample that used old, low-volume tooling in combination with RTX 3090 Ti parts to throw together something to cool a 450 to 600-watt engineering sample, not a final card. After all, with some tweaks, NVIDIA did manage to run the 450-watt 3090 Ti at lower temps and fan speeds than the 350-watt 3090 without making the cooler any bigger. So if they could do that, 
I do not see why with some more tweaks and making the card actually 10% thicker, they couldn't probably cool 500 watts or more. They probably can. Therefore, all we can say right now is that if that leak from May isn't fake, it's definitely very similar to Ampere's cooler, more so than most people seem to realize, and that it's plausible NVIDIA may use nearly the same coolers, at least in theme and overall design for Lovelace as well, which would make sense. I mean, it takes a lot of effort to make one of those elaborate cooler designs. This comes on the back of whispers that NVIDIA is wavering on launching a 600-watt card immediately anyways, so it wouldn't be that crazy if they literally just use the 3090 Ti cooler for the 4090 because they're not going to 600 watts immediately. All right, there we go, Dan. This was one of those things that I was working on in the background for a while until there was kind of a lull in news, and then I threw it out there. I thought it was interesting. I mean, what did you, did, did anything that I found with uh, Jean-Philippe surprise you? Um, yeah, You know, it's hard to say, because when I saw those leaks at first, I think everyone's reaction is, wow, that's really big. But I think I did bring this up with you at one point, like, uh, while we were talking in private, like, there's no real reference point on those mm -hmm. cards, like just immediately looking at it that gives you a perspective of how big this thing actually is. So, I mean, <laughs> I guess we're saying this is a probably 3.25 slot card. It's not like this isn't a, a, a bit of a chunky card anyway, <laughs> it's still massive. Um, but I, I, I don't think they could have gone to four slots. I think that would have been beyond the pale for, now, AIBs are planning to, to be fair, like to just as standard do that. But that would make sense why they would do that. And NVIDIA just might not need to. Yeah, I don't, I don't think the reference card can be that thick. I, I understand that AIBs are going to release thicker models. And that pretty much always happens with every generation. AIBs like to make their massive cards. I mean, my 6700 XT is absurd for the amount of power it uses for example i'm sure but, it's very um, quiet though it is the, the quietest card it is the quietest card i've ever had so i guess that's the benefit um but all i can say is hopefully uh like you said with the uh, 3090 ti hopefully with the slightly larger cooler they're able to keep this not insanely loud with at 500 or 600 watts and again, I think that's worth emphasizing. The 3090 Ti uses the same, at least, footprint of a cooler the 3090 uses. It's had some tweaks to the fans curve. It's had some tweaks to the heat sink, the way they, you know, the, the interface they have to cool the GPU and the memory, especially because it has half as, memory, half as many memory chips as the 3090, makes it easier to cool. And... All of that's to say, though, look, right now, the point is in a 2.75 slot cooler, they're cooling 450 watts with lower fan speeds than the 3090. If they turned up the fan speeds 10%, so it's still not loud, just maybe slightly higher than what the 3090s fan speeds were, which no one complained about that. And they made the cooler 10% thicker. I, I, I do not see why they couldn't cool at least 500 watts. Why not? Yeah, and hopefully the... Hopefully we don't get to 600 watts until we're at like the 4090 Ti. Hopefully there's some Halo slash flagship product that isn't ridiculous. <laughs> that isn't, uh, I don't know, using the energy of a car. I mean, and you know, and it wouldn't, it just wouldn't surprise me if what they end up doing is using the same coolers. They tend to use, I mean, this was the biggest redesign and cooler I think we've seen 
ever from the company besides arguably Turing, and even that wasn't that crazy. There's a lot of effort put into Ampere's cooler. So it does make a lot of sense why they would just mostly use this theme again and save as much money as possible tweaking it and making it better than before. So I don't know. It, they can launch this with a 4090 up to like 500 to 600 watts. And then once they have the 4090 Ti, they can make changes like they've done for the 3090 Ti and say, here's the optimizations we made to get that extra little power consumption. At least I think that's what this all suggests. The only other thing I would say is, you know, again, working in the automotive industry, I did a lot of like low volume early versions of projects that would use old tooling we would pull out from years ago. Sometimes like we would have the mass production tooling that's not the same, of course, as the uh, sample tooling. But then when we had to iterate on it, we would, in storage, pull out the old engineering sample tooling and make the next generation mock-up after like machining in some new things. And I just think it's worth reminding people how easy it would be to, for the company that helped NVIDIA develop these coolers before to pull out their old engineering sample tooling they used for the 3090 samples over many years ago and go, mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to modify it so it's a little thicker. And then you can just use the heat sink from a 3090 Ti with it or something. That's very easy for them to do. Yeah. Although, I don't know, a lot of work went in, in design clearly went into making the these coolers. I don't know why they would abandon them after one generation because I, the, I feel like these are some of the most well-received coolers for any card launch I've ever seen. I, I agree. So I don't, I don't know why they would need to do that anyways. Um, QH Freddy writes in and he says, when AIB say they need a four slots to cool 600 Watts, is it really a stretch to say that an efficient cooler design can be done in three? In my view, AIBs have rather regularly been overbuilding coolers or straight up doing less than is possible for a given cooler volume between the flow through design and better fans. I'm inclined to believe the 3090 founders edition style coolers should be able to stretch to 600 Watts, possibly without even being thickened to 3.25 slots. No, absolutely. And even if they don't bulge over 3.25, again, this is an engineering sample that it was easy for them to like make the heat sink a little bigger, guys, make that silver shroud wrapping part a little thicker as well. It's very possible they just stop at three slots at, for the final one and just stick with that or something or even use literally the same design. I mean, they used I cooled a 3080 Ti founders at 400 watts with the two slot cooler that thing came with it wouldn't surprise me with a few tweaks they can also cool like 400 watts with a mm -hmm. similar looking cooler to a 3080 ti and then yes we've talked about this aibs tend to make more money by cheaping out on the parts but make the parts bigger so it cools it yeah i think it's totally plausible yeah i mean we've seen that before uh AIBs will just make really big coolers that can, I guess, push a lot of air and remove a lot of heat, but they're not designed for the graphics cards they're being put on. So they'll, yeah, they'll run garbage thermals, but you know, well, garbage thermals for the size, but it's so big that it still squeaks by at performing its job fine. It's just 60% bigger than it needs to be. Yeah, like the materials, the elaborate design, cutting edge PCIe hookups. This is something NVIDIA does because they want to get good reviews for their founders cards. AIBs want to make a profit. Mm -hmm. And so it, that is why you often see like, yeah, it's just a gigantic cheap aluminum metal heat sink, <laughs> but it's gigantic. <laughs> 
So, you know, it works. Yeah. Greasy, what's wrong? Heat getting you down? No? You're paying too much for Windows keys? Well, come on, you know you don't have to do that by now. After all, it's certainly been no secret that CDKeyOffer.com has been a reliable sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead for years. They're the go-to place that I recommend my fans use for getting PlayStation, Microsoft Office, and Windows operating system keys for reasonable prices. You don't want to spend a ridiculous amount of the percentage of your build's price on a Windows operating system. Go to CDKeyOffer.com to get a legitimate, reliable key to build your new system without wasting too much money. I use them to make the Alder Lake system next to me for benchmarking graphics cards. And if I build a Zen 4 or Raptor Lake system this fall, you can bet I will be going to cdkeyoffer.com right away to get a reasonably priced Windows 11 key. If you do go to cdkeyoffer.com, make sure you use the offer code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off Windows software and DieString to get 3% off everything else on the website. They even sell gaming chairs, mice, and keyboards right now. It's a good place to go to to get reasonably priced products and to also show your support for Moore's Law is Dead. Go to cdkeyoffer.com today. All right. Let us then move on to story number four. NVIDIA and other companies are allegedly cutting their 5 and 4 nanometer orders as GPU prices crash. Summarizing a translation of a DigiTimes report by retired engineer on Twitter, he alleges, or I should say DigiTimes alleges, that Apple has begun mass production of the Apple iPhone 14 that they are cutting their initial planned shipment orders from TSMC for this new iPhone by 10% already. Both AMD and NVIDIA are also allegedly reducing their orders. Although AMD is specifically reducing 7 and 6 nanometer orders for their PC products, hopefully this can be used to alleviate PS5 shortages. And as of now, though, either way, their 5 and 4 nanometer orders are unaffected. So AMD still wants to make as many of their like high-tech products as they were always planning to a year ago. Meanwhile, NVIDIA has been requesting that their 5 and 4 nanometer orders be reduced for the RTX 4000 series, and TSMC is refusing, saying they signed a contract, they must buy it. The only thing TSMC is open to negotiating is a delayed shipment from mid-2022 to late 2022 or early 2023 and nvidia will also be responsible for finding replacement customers to buy up that capacity if they manage to vacate any this lines up entirely with whispers that moore's law that has been hearing forever that both number one nvidia as of six months ago was hoping to flood the market with lovelace even if they lost performance to rdna3 out shipping them and that number two though right now they have warehouses full of brand new unsold ampere cards that their partners are demanding they're allowed to offload before Lovelace launches. And then I also have little links here in the description, everybody. The 3070 Founders has been in stock at $500. This is like the most demanded card in the Ampere lineup. It's been in stock for days now. I think for almost a week straight on BestBuy.com, <laughs> along with a lot of other cards there. And 3090s are hitting $1,100. even saw some people say $900 on eBay. The pricing crash is here. Stock remains, though. Um, and NVIDIA, this is what's interesting to me. Not that they're cutting, like, orders with Samsung or something. That they're, they are already prematurely cutting orders of Lovelace. Well, that, what that, do you think of all this, Dan? I mean, that says that uh, 
the rumors, I guess, that they uh, are, were stopping production of Ampere are almost certainly true at this point because they're already worried about an overproduction in Lovelace, which if they have the market flooded with like 3080s, 3090s, 3070s, I don't know what the demand for 4060s 40 and 4070s will be, um, which I think that's roughly what they would compete with. Uh, and I don't know what you do about that, having way too many cards on the market. I think they need to lower prices and offload their craft. <laughs> And this is what I'm saying to people that are looking for doing budget builds right now. It's like, even if you don't want to get, can't afford, don't care about waiting for Lovelace and RDNA 3, it's like, keep in mind, I seriously think, guys, in a few months, there's going to be like $300 used 3070s, $500 used 3080s. And I mean, you can wait for a 4050 Ti or 4060 if you want, or just get a $300 used 3070 only uses 230 watts or i think it's 220 watts at stock right now like just do that like and i think this is going to be a major major issue i don't think we're going to see new low-end cards from amd and nvidia for a, a while no <laughs> there's no reason to make them like especially with i guess what these will be low-end cards a year from now like there's or not a year from now three to six months from now there there's I don't know. I think that we are about to see a gigantic crash in uh, GPU prices, hopefully bigger than what we're already seeing, you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't know really what else to say, except that I just how many times in the past three months did I pull up comments of people saying, I don't care because these are all going to be $2,000. And I was like in the comments arguing with people, no, they won't. There like, might, yes, there will be flagship cards that will be really expensive, but I do not think they're going to be able to overcharge guys. I don't know why you're buying into this thing of NVIDIA going, ooh, the shortages are going to last till 2024. Of course, they're going to tell you that. They want you to buy their $2,000 3080 now and not wait. <laughs> like, there's no way this is going to be a repeat of last gen. Not in the same way. Yeah, and if, if prices are already falling for all uh, all cards at this point and they're remaining on the market, and they're remaining in stock for several days at a time. Uh, that says the market's pretty much been satiated to a large extent, at least. I mean, with 3090s at $1,100, like that probably means they're going to hit below $1,000 relatively soon. And if you're happy with 3070 to 3090 performance, great, get one of those or get the. Lovelace car or the Lovelace slash RDNA three cards that launch at that same performance level because those are going to be way cheaper and yeah I, I guess there might be a two thousand dollar flagship but you don't need to buy the two thousand dollar flagship right the, like some the, people see five hundred or six hundred dollar forty seventy that competes with a thirty ninety or thirty or beats possibly a forty ninety ti depending on how they segment there's a lot of random things being thrown around by people right now about how they'll do it. I, I, I think it's going to have to cost that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I... The, the, the thing I find interesting here is AMD apparently in this report, not reducing their five and four nanometer orders at all, which is exciting for Phoenix for Zen four and for their flagship RDNA three, which I've consistently reported and been told AMD wants GPU market share with RDNA three this time. They think they can take it. 
Um, but I do find it interesting they're reducing the seven and six nanometer to seven. Eh, not so much surprised. I mean, I don't think they care about making any more RDNA two cards after the ones they just made. But I don't know. It's like I always keep hoping they'll make like a four hundred dollar seventy six hundred XT, or maybe they'll call it seven six fifty XT that competes with the sixty nine hundred XT and ten eighty p. Even if it just has eight gigabytes, four hundred dollars. 69, like that could be the new RX 5700 XT. I just, I don't like seeing reductions of that, but I guess we don't know what they're reducing or why, because, and maybe AMD goes, hey, we think there's going to be $400 used 6900 XTs anyways, man. So that's why we're not going to make as many. I don't know. I I mean, they're close to releasing their new stuff that's not going to be on seven and six nanometer. So that leaves like you... Like written here, the only thing that's still being made on seven nanometer would be the PS5 soon, right? Hopefully. I just like, yeah, <laughs> I know it's interesting. Xboxes are coming in stock now oh, and consistently. Xbox, yeah. uh, so I don't think they need more Xbox capacity. PS5's almost coming in stock fairly relatively often. Yes, it sells out within 20 minutes, but it is getting there. And I always find this interesting when you compare this to like, where demand comes from, whether it's gamers or miners. And it's like, yes, consoles came into stock after mining, but not that much after. Everything's connected. It's very clear. Yeah. yeah. Um, the best micro center employee writes in, and he says, hello, I firmly believe now that Lovelace will be a quarter four launch. It will be. I've already, <laughs> but I'm glad you believe it now. With TSMC's behavior and NVIDIA's asinine move of attempting to cancel some of their four nanometer production, this only puts that kind of speculation even more concrete. Wasn't speculation, speculation. Um, with pricing of current GPUs just absolutely plummeting and with no apparent end in sight, what is your advice for current buyers that need a new GPU now and are seeing the current slash future conditions? And do you believe there's actually going to be a demand hike when the 40 series comes? Personally, I can't tell how much new demand there will be. We are in a recession with no end in sight for the time being, only going to get worse with terrible GDP projections. People are more concerned about essential commodities to stay afloat. Gas is at ridiculous prices, a perfect storm for demand of computer parts like GPUs just to go down. With all of these factors at play, it makes it really difficult for me to believe that speculative demand this fall will be the same as what other people want to overhype, fart out, and propagate about it. Do you think that gamers should actually be concerned about initial stock levels and getting next-gen cards? Because I don't think there should be a concern, and I'd be happy with what they have now. Besides, let's get the bullshit. The vast majority of gamers we talk to that build their first PC don't need 3080 or higher levels of performance. Very few do. I'm still pretty happy with my 3070 performance. Yeah. Um, what do you think, Dan? Where will we see the same shortages we saw last gen at all at launch? Um, no. The only way that I think they we would is if uh, AMD and NVIDIA have to severely cut back production, which I guess we don't know how big the production how much production they're cutting back right now. But I think the fact that we're probably going to be flooding the the end production of like Ampere is probably going to be flooding the market soon. Uh, there's probably going to be, like he said, way less demand because gas is like $5 a gallon now. <laughs> I, I don't think there's going to be as much demand and hopefully comparatively uh, more stock or relative to demand more stock. Yeah, I would just say I think there's going to be similar kind of paper launch days 
just like there was last time from NVIDIA at the very least. At least I've heard that kind of sounds like the plan still. So, yeah, look, if NVIDIA says their launch is September, based on what I've been told, it's October, guys. It's not mm-hmm. September. It's going to be bullshit for a month. But once it does launch, I think it will be easier to get than Ampere for sure. I just do. They wouldn't be cutting orders unless and and listen to what's. TSMC said they're not going to let them cut orders. Basically, these rumors of like it's launching October, not September, are coming from TSMC saying all we're going to let you do is stockpile an extra few months and then launch it. We're not Mm going to let you cut orders. So there's a very good chance that NVIDIA doesn't even manage to reduce orders by finding other people to buy it. And then they're forced to launch even more stock just later. I think whenever that bullshit paper launch month ends, we're going to have more availability than last gen. Pretty, pretty obviously. There's a chance that they don't cut any orders and they launch with more stock than they even want. Yeah. I, unless they just, uh, to save on space, they don't, uh, <laughs> they manufacture a bunch of dies without actually selling them immediately. Maybe, but if they do that, AMD isn't cutting their orders. So they will be like, cool, yeah. here's the $600, 7,700 XT <laughs> or $500. Get this instead. Cause yeah. I think that's what AMD is going to do. Um, as for, you know, advice on what to buy now, which I think is distinctly its own question. I don't know. Honestly, if you are cash strapped, I do not mind the RTX 3050 for 250. You can yeah. actually get it for 250 in my testing. It has a lot of features with DLSS and ray tracing performance that surprised me. And it's basically that. Or you look at the RX 6600, that is, I mean, I look, I see an RX 6600 for $275 on Newegg. That. <laughs> like, if you don't need NVIDIA stuff, get that over a 250, 3050. And after that, it's just hard for me to recommend anything else. Honestly, if you can get a 3090, yeah, but again, the 3090 has reliability issues, and I'd worry about a used one. So, it's just hard for me to recommend most high-end cards, except to say they're a lot cheaper than they were a few months ago. So, like, if you want 3080 performance and it comes in stock for 700 or less, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And same with the 6900 XT that we're seeing hit $600 used. It's just, I don't know. Like, you you, you got to want that performance. But a lot of people do. And just get the best ones. And the best pricing I've seen is 6600 6900 XT, that type of thing is usually the best price performance used right now. Um, Bfish36 writes in, says, Hi, Tom. There's a thing in supply chain called the bullwhip effect, where a shortage causes demand shock and the re- and it results in oversupply that travels up and down the supply chain. I'd argue that NVIDIA GPUs caught this first. Supported by reports, they're sitting on unmovable stock. Do you see AMD laptop CPUs being the next obvious overstock situation? It seems to me the most likely scenario is the chips were supplied, but due to lockdowns and other issues with supply chains combined with a like uh, of over forecast of laptop demand, have manufacturers like Lenovo sitting on a stockpile that can't convert into sellable products. Picking on Lenovo because they can't seem to hit release dates and still seem to be clearing out stock from last year, which was itself six months late to market. Um, I think a lot of things may be overstocked soon, but I think Rembrandt is one of the least worryable things. I, I think that the demand for AMD high-end APUs, which this is their highest-end one right now, besides the consoles, I guess, 
it, it's out of control. People cannot get enough of these at the companies. And it's just the opposite at Intel. Uh, I was talking to a distributor the other day and they're like, they're pushing Tiger Lake really hard right now. <laughs> <laughs> like and the like they can't get rid of their tiger lake stock because tiger lake came out a little too late and then now it's finally all sh- arrived from overseas and they don't know what to do with it so <laughs> no i think people want rembrandt and in fact i've noticed a lot of handheld gaming and there will be a couple in the la- wrap-up devices that use like things like a 6800u so I think any oversupply of these APUs, no, I, I think we'll just get reasonably priced cool gaming handheld devices that have performance close to a 1650 or at least a 16, uh, a 1050 Ti or higher, which I think is sick, you know? So I think there's so many uses for Rembrandt that we're not seeing people use that I, I don't think they're going to have trouble moving them. And remember, Rembrandt's intended to sit around for years as a low-end thing to either launch on AM5 or to launch in rebrands in, like, laptops in the mid-range next year. So anything they can't get rid of, they're just going to keep what it's fine. I mean, and if this were an issue with Rembrandt, wouldn't there be more, wouldn't uh, things like, I mean, the laptops that they launched Rembrandt and be, probably more available or am i wrong yeah and they're still kind of hard to find they're starting to become findable i'll say but they're still not the easiest thing to find but when did those launch that that was like four or so months ago wasn't it yeah beginning of this year supposedly so you know i I just think there would be more there would be more ease of availability towards things that were marketed early on with rembrandt unless they only bought an entire uh, a incredibly small number of those for some reason which doesn't make sense because like those are some of the most in-demand laptops right now at least if you go online (laughs) you would think that at least hard to get um yeah and if we look around amd cut seven slash six nanometer orders maybe they're canceling rembrandt and they just know what they have is going to be enough for the rest of the year i really don't see rembrandt is the one that's going to have issues next to so many other things because it's just so useful with what it brings to the table it's the newest real product as well it uses zen 3 plus you know it has an advanced hyper efficient rdna2 architecture this isn't like it's kind of like i don't think nvidia is going to have problems with what uh what a, what a ga 107 which is supposed to be used in the 3050 <laughs> because it's low end, it's low power. They can cut it down a bit and use it for like an MX650 for years. Same with Rembrandt. That can be used in mid-range laptops, APUs on desktop next to Raphael for a long time. It's just not going to be an issue. It's not like the 3080 where it's like, hey, no one wants a 300-watt card that's weaker than the 200-watt new card. Yeah. But plenty of people will get a 75-watt, you know, who knows what they'll call it, like, gt gtx 3030 or i don't know what they'll call it if they just rebrand some of the lower end dies and, and re- these efficient smaller dies that are using rembrandt i don't think amd's gonna have trouble sourcing for a long time um because they didn't overproduce it like tiger lake okay mm-hmm. let us then move on to story number five intel z790 revealed to be oh i'm sorry intel z790 to be revealed in one month with gen 5 pcie support i have a little write-up here last week moore's law said opened up a mostly amd leak analysis video with a few intel z790 details in summary 
Z790 supports PCIe Gen 5 M.2 SSDs, just like X670 Extreme for Raphael from AMD later this year. Z790 should be shown off late July, near the end of this month, or early August. And then boards will be validated throughout August. This comes from multiple sources, by the way, with production in September once validation is passed. And they launch then, of course, produce it in September. You stockpile it, ship it. They launch presumably in October. Intel is unlikely to officially launch any Raptor Lake SKUs before Z790 is ready for business reasons. I say that because I'm getting ahead of what I'm guessing a lot of people will allege might happen which is I've seen ASRock already updated a motherboard to support Raptor Lake. Um, oh, what, so launch uh, Raptor Lake before they launch Z690? Uh, 790, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry, Z790. I asked a contact, like, and I, I thought I knew the answer already. I'm like, is there a chance they just launched this first? And he's like, no, their partners would have their head on a spike. Like, if they <laughs> developed all of these new motherboards in the i9 came out and some of the biggest enthusiasts were just buying z690 motherboards for a month before yeah no th th that's not happening guys for business reasons so there you go z790 should have features similar in quality to amd's x670 extreme or at the very least better than the z690 of course and raptor lake still sounds like something launching in quarter four not q3 and again i again, I almost wonder if it'll slip past october but we'll see i don't know probably too premature to say that i don't know i've actually been sitting on some of this information about z790 waiting for a good week where there was another stuff to talk about um i think that's notable right m.2 pcie 5.0 support uh yeah i think it, i mean i feel like it kind of has to have that stuff though doesn't it <laughs> i don't know well, it's funny. I, before I made the video, I asked a contact, is, why has no one else talked about this? I know this isn't the most surprising thing, but it's notable. I mean, uh, there's a lot of people that were wondering, is Intel going to have a complete platform disadvantage against Zen 4? I, I guess there's always that possibility, but if I, I think that only happens in a, if uh, Intel is failing to develop its technology, and I don't think they're completely there yet. I mean... <laughs> I think Raptor Lake looks like it's going to be a fine product launch, and I, having features that behind uh, AMD would look really bad. Now, I still don't know how many SSDs they can support. I don't know if the overall I.O. is better than the best X670 Extremes. We're, we're just going to have to see. But at the yeah. very least, it sounds like they'll be able to price and position things pretty competitively with Zen 4, um, at least in the high end. But moving to things related to Zen 4, not necessarily in the high end on AM5, <laughs> let us move on to story number six. AMD can, not necessarily will, make Zen 4 for AM5. What does this mean? All right, here's the write-up. After sprinkling out those little Z790 leaks, Tom then in the same video went into detail on what's going on with potential Zen 4 products on AM4 and further Zen 3D product launches potentially as well. Here's the skinny. No board makers are being briefed right now on new Zen 3D or Zen 4 SKUs for AM4. These things take time to validate and prepare for at least three months. Therefore, any suggestion that AMD has some secret Zen 4 or AM4 SKU coming soon, none of the board makers are preparing microcode for it. And so it's very unlikely that any of these SKUs would be able to be launched before Raphael, anyways. However, of course, AMD can make a 5950X3D, for example, if they want to. It's just putting another chiplet on the 5800X3D. And 
More interestingly, the Zen 4 AM4 family has been considered by AMD on roadmaps, but as of now, it is seemingly not something in active development. Zen 4 being planned for AM4 has a lot of interesting ramifications either way, though. In this writer's opinion, it would almost certainly mean that Zen 4 CCD chiplets work with Zen 2 slash 3 IO dies. And therefore, presumably, one would think that if enough work was put in, a Zen 2 or Zen 3 chiplet should work with a Raphael IO die and be launched launchable on AM5. This opens the door to interesting 7 slash 6 nanometer budget products from AMD in the coming years on a newer platform, ones they sorely will need to keep up with potentially competitive future monolithic i3s that were released into a market where all CPUs seem overkill for mid-range or even arguably high-end gaming at this point. So, I don't know. What did you think about... There's actually quite a few things we could get into here, Dan, about... The uh, like the uh, I don't know, let's just cover the first thing first. Zen 3D. Did, were you expecting any more products in that category to launch anytime soon for, for AM4? No, I think I, I I think the 5800 X 3D is the only thing that's going to launch. I I, I just think how well optimized the uh, 3D cache is right now. Um, it makes sense to launch it for the 5800X 3D, but I don't know if there's quite a reason to launch it for the 5950X or 5950X variant of that. Uh, the 5800X uh, kind of balances price per gaming performance ideally. So being able to press gaming performance with the 5800X specifically makes the most sense to me. Yeah, because who's... Uh, anyone like me who has a 3950X or a 5950X, you know, someone who's like, I got this 32 thread monster that I wanted in my dreams for years. Anyone who's considering upgrading to like a 5950X 3D is probably willing to get a DDR5 motherboard and the Zen 4 CPU that's even better, right? Yeah. (laughs) And so if you're AMD, you're like, look, the people that upgrade, that want to save money, they're probably gamers. They're probably not owning more than eight cores. Most people don't have more than eight cores on AM4. And they just go, here is the over doubling of per core performance in gaming for like a Zen 1 CPU that you've been waiting for. We can just keep spitting out the 5800X 3D. I assume that anything else coming to AM4 for the time being could just be something like a 5500X, a 5300X, you know, your low end stuff. So they can get rid of old B550 stock for like under a hundred bucks and have budget boards that compete with budget Raptor. Like that's what I'm guessing they're doing. If there was some other products coming with their Zen four or Zen three D to AM four anytime soon, I, I mean, I got I I think the motherboard makers would know by now because they have to prepare microcode updates and stuff. And yeah. At the time is running out for it to be possible to launch at the same time as Zen 4. I, I, now, can they wait? And then once they are transitioning to Genoa, if they have any leftover Milan X stock, can they then launch some more Zen 3D products for AM4 early next year? Maybe. And maybe they'll tease those at the end of this year to say, hey, don't get Raptor Lake. Wait for our stuff coming. <laughs> That's all possible, but I don't think it's coming anytime soon. Moving forward, I definitely think the most interesting idea is if they were planning to do a family on AM4. And I could be wrong about this. 
I don't have the details about what it would look like, but I assume that means they could make Zen 3 work on AM4 than with DDR5. Again, guys, right now they have Zen 3D, which isn't, as far as we can tell, that difference in Zen 3 working with its own I.O. controller with DDR5. And, and they have Van Gogh right now working with DDR5 in the Zen 2 CPU. So it assumes that if you have the right I.O. controller, Zen 2, Zen 3 can work on AM5 just fine. That, to me, is the interesting idea. Yeah, I mean, that to me sounds like the uh, what their answer for low-end desktop uh, CPUs would be because there's I, I don't really see much of a reason AMD would launch a new CPU with fewer than six cores at this point, you know? Which, yeah, and 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 at five nanometer is like eighty percent more expensive than seven and six nanometer right now. Maybe that'll come down in the future, but right now that's how much it costs. And so if you're AMD, you're like, we can get away with making a six or eight core chiplet, three hundred dollars maybe, but I don't think we're making a six core one fifty anytime soon to compete with presumably six core i threes sometime in the future. Yeah. Um. So. I, I just think based on the economy <laughs> or the manufacturing process of uh, Zen 4, uh, the low end can really only be satiated by going to older technologies and, you know, giving them a polish with ha uh, DDR4 would be nice. <laughs> and it sounds like a, it sounds like a decent answer toward, for having budget processors for them. Now, what I really want to dig into here, though, is like why this makes sense financially with the amount of silicon long term. I, I'm not saying that like right now they want to launch some version of the 5800X for 150 below Zen 4. That's not what I'm saying. And I saw some people in the Moore's Laws Dead Discord on Friday night after the video came out saying, ah, oh, that's interesting. I always thought they would put Rembrandt as the low-end uh, products on AM5. And it's like, yeah, they might for a bit, but think about what happens truly long-term. Like maybe that's what they do. I believe Rembrandt's like around 200 millimeter squared of six nanometer silicon. Maybe that's what they do for like a $250 and below market below Zen 4. But what happens when Zen 5 comes out? I'm operating under the uh, um, information right now that Zen 5 will have at least 32 core models on AM5. So if you think about that, what does that mean for their lineup? What, 32, Zen 5, the top, uh, at least, I think. Mm -hmm. And then maybe 24 instead of 12 cores. And then we get to 16 cores for like $400. Then maybe, you know, 12, you know, then right there, if you're getting to like, $350, $400 for 16 cores. Um, why can't they, if they have a dearth or a bunch of leftover Zen 3 stock, which this does happen, they have to stockpile a certain amount of chiplets to service Epic contracts in case they need to send replacement parts. All the time, there's leftover parts. I believe the 3300X was leftover parts that they wanted to just get rid of, and that's why there was so little stock. They didn't have a lot of quad core yields left over. They're just like, no, we launched this because we had to get rid of them. Like that happens. What this allows them to do is if you have a Zen 5 chip that's got its new IO die and a new like, you know, three nanometer or four nanometer chiplet setup that's really expensive, they can just take the Raphael IO die and put two Zen 3 8 cores and be like, yeah, I know for $400 you get 
16 cores of Zen 5. For $300, you now get 16 cores of Zen 3. And that's how we're competing with i5s. Yes, the single-threaded performance is way lower than Redwood Cove. Mm -hmm. You also get double the multi-threading performance. So this allows them to like... And I know people would then said in the Moore's Laws that Discord things like, well, that's still expensive silicon. And I go, no, it's a sunk cost. This allows them to dump stock they would throw away anyways. Yeah, and the only other alternative I could think of to servicing the low end market, which this would still require them manufacturing new stock, I think would be like, what, releasing low end Phoenix to desktop or something? Because at a certain point, that's right. all they have. <laughs> which Phoenix is... Um total amount of four nanometer silicon i think is going to be a little more yeah than the total five nanometer silicon used in Raphael. so it's more expensive probably to make the <laughs> Raphael, if not a similar price and so that's not going to be the low end anytime okay. soon yeah. they have to use something else then and again it's like well that's a lot of silicon to use because you still have to use they pointed this out to someone well, you use six nanometer for the IO die for Raphael. So aren't you wasting that on a Zen 3 chiplet? And it's like, no, I mean, add up the 80 millimeter squared of seven nanometer Zen 3, with I believe 120 around millimeter squared of, or I think it's like 125 millimeter squared of six nanometer IO controller. That's still like a total amount of silicon, actually like a hair less than Rembrandt's silicon. You're still using less silicon than Rembrandt in the low end, <laughs> if you were to use one of those chiplets with one of those IO controllers. And it's all about flexibility. It's all about, hey, we have this stock left over. We've already made it. Yeah, we're making very little profit on the chiplet itself. Maybe that part breaks even, but we're making a 20% markup on the IO controller itself. And whatever, this allows us to launch a $150 eight core to compete with i3s. I think AMD has to, has to do stuff like this to keep up and taking market share in the low end and compete with what will soon be Intel three I three is in two years. I don't know how else they do this unless they can spit out like Zen three stuff in the low end. Yeah. And they couldn't do this next generation or they need to start like diversifying their designs more than just having two different dies essentially that they have each generation for uh, their Zen architecture, because I think we're, I think you're starting to see the limit of that. Yeah. And I and again, it's just keep in mind why they would have planned Zen 4 this way as well and Zen 3 and all these I.O. controllers. They all look similar. They're all similar size. They all seem to be compatible mm -hmm. with each other. AMD can't predict the future. They don't know if they were going to launch Zen 4 into a market where DDR5 was impossible to get. If they were, they would have gone, oh, OK, let's do a limited release on AM4 at first. Uh, they don't know if they're going to go into a market where the capacity for four nanometers is bad, but then three nanometer or six nanometer, just, you know, it's way more open. That kind of sounds like that's happening. <laughs> like mm -hmm. this, the reason they would have designed Zen 3, Zen 2, Zen 4, the IO controllers all to be mix and matchable is it just gives them a competitive flexibility in the future. And yeah. So that's, I, I think that's brilliant. And that explains a lot more why Zen 4 looks so similar to the other dies is I just, I'm like, they've got to be compatible then, right? Guys, if they are considering Zen 4 and AM4. I don't think they're like putting millions of dollars into another IO controller for some limited release. I, they would have probably designed yeah. that in. Um, Brett Summers writes in and he goes, hello, Tom and Dan slash insert guest name. This is Dan. Let's talk budget here for a moment. You, Tom, mentioned more than once that AMD wants to transition to a premium brand. And now they've, AMD, have start, said that AM4 will live alongside AM5. 
With this information, I take it as Zen 3 will most likely fill out the sub $300 USD market with X570 and B550, as I'm assuming the 7600X will probably be at least the launch price of the 5600X. Do you have any thoughts or information on that? Will we see relaunch Zen 3 SKUs? Will we perhaps see Zen 3 Plus on desktop? Or am I misreading AMD here? Um, yeah, I mean... Uh, everything we've just discussed kind of answers this question. Uh, so, uh, but you know, with the 7,600 X being priced, like at least the launch price of a 5,600 X probably, um, yeah. for me, the question is, is if they'd make it eight cores and they just make it a 7,700 X or something and they just don't even have a 7,600 because right now guys, right now they're selling a 5,700 X for 300 or less as eight cores. So I wouldn't rule out that AMD elects to just launch a 7700X with eight cores for $300 to combat the i5. They might have to. And mm. for those that say it's too expensive on five nanometer, um, I mean, half of the silicons, less than half the silicons on five nanometer, guys. And so you're just taking that part of the cost is more expensive. Zen 3 has insane margins. So, you know, you're still talking about, do I think... 125 or something millimeter squared of six nanometer plus 71 millimeter squared of five nanometer is more expensive than the $300 they're willing to sell a 6600 for right now with 237 millimeter squared of seven <laughs> nanometer silicon. And then the cooler on that graphics card. No, Zen 3 has absurd margins. I think they can make an eight core 300 bucks if they want to. I just don't think they're going to make it less than 200. Uh, no, uh, that unless uh, Intel forces their hand, that's the only reason they would do that. Could they if they really had to? I don't know. I mean, look, they sold the sixteen hundred for like free. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like they they've sold stuff for lower prices before, um, and all of this is kind of a slippery slope and milking enthusiasts towards the top. So, who knows if they would be like seven hundred dollars for the sixteen core? But yeah. A couple of these have lower margins than usual, just so we can keep the competitive edge. I don't know. Um, all right. Andrew writes in, hello, Tom and Dan. Technology seems to be improving in some ways that seem kind of weird to me. And so I'm really curious how you guys see the general tech landscape shifting in the future. It seems that CPU cores are getting only a little faster. Oh, I agree with that. Well, interconnected bandwidth is jumping up by insane amounts. For example, PCIe is advancing very quickly, and AMD advertised the Zen 4 CPUs having 125% more bandwidth per core compared to the previous gen. Well, the cores themselves only likely at most 50% faster, and yeah, it's not even that. Then further, with silicon photonics... Uh, seemingly to become a useful soon it seems that something like pci interconnects could just outstrip any possibility of processing anything obviously dedicated asics and stuff like genoa help but what's the point of shuffling around all this data adding all this bandwidth if it can't even be processed i don't know if this question makes any sense but how will this insane improvement in interconnects affect computing well i would just say how many multi-die that aren't crossfire gpus have we had none yeah, Apple's the first. Like, so when you see this massive increase in interconnects and bandwidth, we're making up for lost time, my dude. <laughs> like, they wanted this a long time ago. Yeah, and I mean, some of those interconnects that are like with within a CPU clearly were hampering like performance on Zen for a long time. 
I mean, as far as like PCI goes, I I'm not sure if there's part- a particular reason that we need to see it accelerate at the rate it is. I mean, based on my understanding, PCIe 4.0 16 lanes seems sufficient for any graphics card. But uh, I don't know if what Zen, I mean, not Zen, with PCIe 7.0, which is later got is the spec is validated. That'll be what four times faster. I don't know if we necessarily need that, but. Well, That's you know, let me look at this, that. though, too. The 7970 launched at the end of 2011. That was the first PCIe 3.0 graphics card. Let mm-hmm. me go look at graphics cards that are about double that performance. Theory X. So it took AMD, because of the stagnation on 28 nanometer, like four to five years to double performance. Yeah, they probably didn't need PCIe 4.0. Yeah, that's true. Meanwhile... Meanwhile, the 6900 XT doubles 5700 XT performance in one year. Two years later, it's going to be doubled again. And I think the that uh, RDNA 4 is going to bring at least like 60% more performance than that a year and a half later. So, no, I think we need the interconnects, actually, uh, to keep up with the, RAS, the rapid innovation graphics architecture. Do you need 5.0 for a 7900 XT this year? Probably not, but why not have overkill if you can? You don't want a situation where you're just getting hampered. And furthermore, when I look at the bandwidth per core, I don't know about that quote, but here's what I do know. We've seen AMD show benchmarks of Raphael getting over 40% performance boosts over Zen 3. Well, that's almost exactly the difference in bandwidth going from 3600 megahertz DDR4 <laughs> to 52 to 5600 megahertz ddr5 so in fact i think what we're seeing is they're making good use of that bandwidth right away yeah so i don't know i i I don't um and then you have to remember zen 4 is the first generation on am5 with ddr5 for amd you know they're gonna they're gonna use ddr5 for zen 5 they need the bandwidth right now zen 4 is kind of laying the groundwork for them um sino 764 writes in he says hi tom and dan Tom, do you know if and when AMD, if and when, so it seems like mm. you know so, or something, AMD is planning to launch Rembrandt and Phoenix APUs to the desktop. Not until they have a dearth of stock. Like I don't see why they'd bother with Rembrandt on desktop until they have a little extra stock from their laptop sales. I think you saw a similar thing with Renoir and Cezanne. They took forever to come to desktop. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. I My opinion is I just don't know if there's going to be a reason for them to launch, like, at least top-end Phoenix on desktop. I, I don't, it's I don't similar, know if there's you know, a point. You know, compared to Zen 5, maybe. But, again, like, I didn't even think about this until this conversation we've just been having. Like, I think Phoenix is about 190 millimeters squared of Zen f- of uh, 4 nanometer. Okay, well, there's 142 millimeters squared of 5 nanometer in Raphael. Um, I think Phoenix costs more to make than Raphael, guys. <laughs> this again, like I keep trying to say, despite what other in quotes leakers say, Phoenix is not a budget gaming champion. <laughs> it costs yeah. more to make than fucking Raphael, guys. This is not for budget gamers. Yeah, I mean, maybe. It... <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. just I just I'm now realizing there it's, it's more expensive silicon than what's in Raphael, and you have people going. Oh yeah, this 200 millimeters square to five nanometers for budget gaming. I mean, if the uh, Phoenix Two or whatever it's called is sufficiently smaller, maybe they could launch that. It's probably gonna be like same performance as Rembrandt, though. Yeah. 
But yeah, uh, no, yeah. you're right. I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. You're right. But that could maybe occupy the low end if it's like 120 millimeters squared, I guess. Yeah, uh, I, I guess that's right. an option. But it's still like the same price to make as Rembrandt. So I, do I think Rembrandt could take over the upper low end? I do. But I, I don't know about Phoenix on desktop. And I'm pretty sure it's going to be incredibly competitive in efficiency. Launching before Meteor Lake, I don't know. I don't think AMD is going to have trouble selling them to laptops. <laughs> I, I think they're going to be even harder to get. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, I think we just answered that question. Do I know if, probably eventually, when? I, it doesn't seem to make any business sense to sell it to PC gamers for a price we would want to pay for that. Um, Phoenix is for efficient laptops. If you're not using it for what it was designed for, not good price performance. Reese, there you are. Reese here is not very hard to find. All you have to do is say her name and she shows right up, which is basically what you're doing online every time you're surfing the web without using a VPN. That is why today this piece of content is brought to you by Atlas VPN. Atlas VPN is a sponsor that has supported Moore's Laws Dead for a very long time. And so if you need a VPN, show some support to a company that supports me. Atlas VPN gains you access to content in other regions companies want to nickel and dime you for, despite basically already paying for it yourself. And they allow for blazing fast, competitive upload and download speeds on unlimited devices while also simultaneously stopping ads and malware and this includes malicious links and trackers trying to steal your data best of all they work to show you the best prices available while you're shopping online subverting attempts to gouge you based on your location and operating system that one is incredibly useful in my opinion and demonstrates that you're actually paying for something that's giving you some of that money back. That's right, it's saving you money every month despite only costing $1.99 a month if you click the link in the description and use the code Moore's Law for three years of service. Clicking this link protects your data, saves you money, and really does help this channel a lot. If you need a VPN, support someone who supports Moore's Law is dead at Atlas VPN today. Go, go. Dead of Night writes him, hey Tom and Dan, just some feedback on speculation that Little Phoenix may be designed for a Steam Deck 2. Don't forget that Valve is also working on a new standalone VR headset. Is there any chance it could be for that? Have you heard any new rumors on what's coming for VR? Uh, I mean, maybe I have if we mm -hmm. move on to story number seven. Amy Phoenix APU for Valve's Deckard. On June 28th, sadly, it's Bradley spoke with Tom on Broken Silicon about the potential uses of AMD's Phoenix and Little Phoenix or Phoenix 2 products. In summary, according to Brad, there is real evidence that Valve is building on SteamOS to work as an OS, not just for handheld gaming devices, but for other Valve-made devices, maybe like a Quest 2-like self-contained x86 gaming VR device. Valve's rumored Deckard product seems to utilize an XR2 SoC, same one used in the Quest 2, and a self-contained wireless gaming headset with eye tracking and foveated rendering, something Quest 2 lacks, to run all of the devices tracking and monitoring software itself. In other words, the XR2 wouldn't be used to like play super hot without plugging in a PC. It would be used to use all of the computationally sent like eye tracking, foveated rendering, boosting, all of that stuff so your PC doesn't need to do it itself. And that would leave the rest of the PC free to free up some resources for VR frame rates. Because of this, it is conceivable that Valve may 
consider selling a micro gaming desktop PC that's around the size of a deck of cards or a little bigger that plugs into a Deckard VR headset with a single USB-C and has a battery that gets mounted to the back of your head and thus makes it a much more powerful than the Quest 2 or probably even Quest 3 self-contained gaming VR device that splits up the cost of VR gaming in a way Meta might struggle to build themselves. Because if you just want the VR headset, plug in your desktop, get that. If you want to add the self-contained thing later, you can. Um, this seems like a brilliant move, if true, and shows the synergy possible between working on Steam Deck and its OS for other products besides handheld gaming devices to leverage its tech at Valve. All right, Dan, what do you think about these assertions by Brad and uh, other people have already wrote in from the reader mails suggesting after they saw my Phoenix thing? Oh, wait, is that what this is for? It's interesting. I mean, if they were able to put Phoenix uh, uh, or equip like a an add on that had Phoenix on the AVR headset. I think that would probably be good enough for at least low end. uh vr gaming and that would sound a lot appealing to a lot of people um especially if you could easily transport that anywhere or i don't know maybe that's not as big of a thing that people would want but i think i like the idea of being able to bring like a quest 2 to a friend's house easily yeah i I think some people would definitely want that it's an interesting concept Well, Crass writes in on that point you just made, Dan. He says, hi, Tom. Well, now, hi, Dan. He says, there's been a lot of discussion in the past three to four podcasts, not podcasts, God, it's our (laughs) fishing podcast spinoff, but three to four podcasts about all the possible new tiny SOCs for VR headsets for a hypothetical Steam Deck 2 and for a Switch 2. And I got to say, I actually don't see how we get to the performance people want within the constraints. The key one being that three hours of gaming on battery seems to be the benchmark to hit. I know that while the Switch uses 11 watts in docked mode, the original Switch in a handheld mode was using around 7 watts. And doing some basic math, with a 16-watt-hour battery, the die-shrunk SoC and the red box Switch has to be using 5.5 watts for the entire system, including screen, Wi-Fi, and Bluetooth, for it to get to the typical 3-hour battery life that they get when gaming. I just got a Steam Deck recently, and it has a larger 40-watt-hour battery, but also it weighs 1.5 pounds versus the Switch's ha- almost half a pound it is basically at the limit of what i would say is even hand holdable let alone portable even when using 15 watts when it gets under three hours of battery which is why people try to limit the soc to more like 10 watts with an fps cap in the settings process of for letting you choose your fps target so easily what do you think is the solution here i don't think the next apu advances handheld gaming or standalone vr at seven watts in an earth-shattering way i think we need a battery revolution well we absolutely do batteries are just something that needs to be solved right away. Just even for green energy reasons, most energy wasted right now in power grids is wasting the energy. If we could just Mm -hmm. store all of it, there you go. (laughs) Global warming solved. So, well, I shouldn't say that. I know people are going to ride and it wouldn't be even remotely enough. I know it's not, but it would help a lot. And what's the point of all these innovations if we can't even save the energy itself? Anyways, though, back on subject. I mean, this is a, a real uh, consideration and problem I've had. I, I, you know, this is something I was talking to, sadly, it's Bradley, and I said, uh, well, Van Gogh and the Steam Deck runs at 1.6 gigahertz. As far as I can tell, it actually is running around 15 watts, looking at the performance and boosting, which he seems to concur, although people try to cap it to 10 watts, apparently. You know, is a Phoenix APU that at best is double the performance when you're pushing it to like 2.5 gigahertz screaming at 25 watts with a tiny APU. Is that really the way to go? 
because is that going to defeat the purpose? I'm like, yes, but you know, at the same time, they could elect to use the big Phoenix and just clock it lower to 10 watts. And that would perform like little Phoenix, I think, at 25 watts. Second, foveated rendering. I, I, everyone I've talked to is using it with PSVR too. They're like, you can get 50% boost in frame rates. And, and it is oh, yeah. something you can't do easily on uh, monitors, at least not right now. Theoretically, we could just have monitors have little cameras on them, Dan, and mo- reduce rendering on the outskirts of where your eyes are looking. I actually wish they would do that. That'd be amazing. But right now, VR devices can have eye tracking for facial recognition and like using your face in game, let alone just literally knowing exactly where your eyes looking. And you literally cannot see when they're reducing detail around your peripheral vision. So when you add that boost to Little Phoenix, I, I think you get to ARCs 480 performance at 15 watts. I think you can. Um, now, is that enough? My problem isn't debating if we're close enough to 480. Like even without foveated rendering, whatever. It's as strong as a 470. Close enough, in my opinion, in reality. I just don't think that's that ex- exciting of a performance level <laughs> anymore. But would I trade you know, having double the frame rate to, and just lower settings and have five Alex, if it meant I literally never had a connection to my PC, maybe I might make that trade off. Yeah. I mean, I do think the point stands that like, if, if this thing is using like close to 25 Watts, I don't know what conceivable battery you could have that would last more than like, <laughs> I don't know. I think it's an hour and a half VR though. You know what I mean? Because for VR, I'm fine just playing for an hour or two. That's true, but that would still be incredibly annoying. uh, Only having an hour and a half, maybe two hours of battery life. If they could get it to, if they could get Phoenix to 10 Watts, that might be a, that might be good enough. The other option is you have five pounds of battery strapped to your head or something. (laughs) I think we've answered the the solution. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, I think um, I think it also needs to be remembered that this would be a modular setup where, look, they, it has, you know, drawbacks, but you don't need to buy it. Just buy the Deckard. You want to experiment with playing some, maybe not all of them. Maybe you get it because some of your VR games are easy to run. And it's like, I got this like $400 add-on to do that. And then if I want to play the latest AAA, like Resident Evil 8, if that ever came to seem then I will make sure it's connected to my desktop. But there are some games that most games on VR are like really easy to run. And if I want to, I can buy this. And then guess what? At least I don't have to throw my whole headset away in two years. When Strix comes out, I can just get a Strix APU upgrade, put that on the back of my headset. Yeah, there we go. So I I think that's the modularity of it is a key reason why it wouldn't be stupid. Yeah, that's true um spirit song writes in he says hi tom and dan in broken silicon 159 you and sadly it's bradley talked about modular parts for a vr system that is lightweight enough that can be plugged slash unplugged for various purposes for example strapping to your body for a vr maybe not even on the headset or plugging it into a monitor and all of a sudden it becomes a viable mini computer it sounds oddly a lot like the framework laptops marketplace framework laptops marketplace where they are trying to lay the foundation so that there would be accessories framework for accessories that could connect to their framework laptops in fact somebody actually dismantled their framework laptop then repurposed a mechanical keyboard and then made a cyberdeck basically a laptop without a monitor that's really cool 
out of a mechanical keyboard and framework laptop parts. The point is modular laptops do exist right now, even if the framework laptop unfortunately only carries Intel-based mainboards for now. And I think what you and sadly it's Bradley said will become reality sometime in the future. There are many enthusiasts focusing their engines into the very specific parts of the AR VR development gloves or into trackers. I just want to let you know, thanks. And actually, Dan, our friend Greg is uh is fiance Larissa has a framework laptop. He says it's awesome. Did they I didn't know it? that until recently? Or how yeah, he built it for her. He ordered the yeah, parts and assembled really the laptop. Cool. So and he says it's great. It's thin. It actually feels really high end. No. Oh, well that's kind of cool. <laughs> so this is I mean, a real look, thing that we know someone who owns it. Yeah, they look nice. Uh, I, I don't know what else to add to that. I mean I guess having that modularity where you could just constantly expand your laptop would be a nice solution for some people. Well, and, you know, going back to what Crast said, again, don't forget the utility of this modularity. Valve can develop an OS for the Steam Deck, Steam Deck 2, Deckard, that works on all these devices. They're not losing anything by making it work with everything or, as they build up their ecosystem. Or, or, yeah, you could almost imagine a situation where with modularity like they have their, uh, I don't know what you would call it, their playing deck, uh, uh, their playing card deck size C, uh, mini desktop thing that you can attach to your VR headset, or you can just use that as a desktop or something. That would be. Or they can sell their own laptop shell that has an upgradable screen that you can yeah, switch it, between. And I could see a situation where, and I always have to say with Valve, if, because Valve seemingly constantly can go in any direction at any given time if they went this direction they could really pioneer like uh they could really pioneer linux gaming or not pioneer but develop linux gaming which all of a sudden they're selling their own steam gaming laptops from their website direct to you and then i'm sure they would have competitors very quickly because steam is very into having competitors usually it seems Exactly. Or, or likes so, inviting competition when they can. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I think this is, um, uh, all of this needs to be kept in mind. Do I think Little Phoenix is enough for a self-contained gaming VR device? I mean, look, man, I like my Quest 2, and it's enough for half of the games. So mm -hmm. if this is something that's like triple the performance, I think, yeah, it's enough for some people. If it's not enough for you, Get the uh, part of the headset that doesn't have it and wait for the Strix upgrade. And if you get this, and then... And who knows what they could do with a Steam Deck 2? Like, the truly wild thing, Dan, is if they made a Steam Deck 2 that lets you plug in the APU upgrade, too, that can switch between VR, Steam Deck mm -hmm. 2, and a laptop. And again, all of this would be coming from a company where they're not doing any rework. They're making one thing they can apply. One of their things they're working on takes off. Good, we did it. We got a moonshot, and we didn't waste money making a bunch of shit no one wanted because the OS work, the APU work applied to everything we were trying to get into. Yeah. So that's what makes me excited because now I can conceive of it actually working. Um, all right, let us actually move on to story number eight. Tensor core-like capabilities referenced in RDNA3 libraries Quoting here from video cards, as discovered in AMD, G AMD GPU, a backend for AMD GPUs for the LLVM compiler library, Wave Matrix Multiply Accumulate was added to the G 
FX11 architecture. This is the code name of upcoming RDNA3 consumer gaming GPUs, according to many rumors. And as the name suggests, it operates on matrices, regular arrays of tables containing numbers. This type of data is used heavily by AI and machine learning algorithms to multiply large sets of numbers. This is not the first AMD architecture to support matrix operations, though. AMD already supports it in its CDNA architecture, an instruction known as MFMA, Matrix Fused Multiply Add, is supported by this compute-oriented architecture. The difference is in the format of matrices supported in output formats. The code posted for AMD GPU suggests WMMA only supports 16 by 16 by 16, and it can output FP16 and BF16 data formats. AMD WMMA could be considered potentially as a response to TensorCore, which has been present on NVIDIA GPUs since the Volta architecture. NVIDIA has commercialized this advanced instruction to boost NVIDIA DLSS AI-based super-resolution technologies. Kind of. Intel also have their own XMX DPAS instructions operating on matrices that can boost yet unreleased Z super sampling technologies. Would this suggest AMD is preparing their own super resolution technology boosted by AMD algorithms? If yes, then one would hope that they make it compatible with the code used for tensor cores from NVIDIA, because otherwise it's another proprietary technology. Yeah, I wouldn't bet on that. Uh, why cry at video cards? <laughs> I bet they would just use their own. Um, the reason I added this story is a couple of contacts I talked to were like, no, this seems legit. And other okay. like Linux websites are posting further references to it in other code. So it is interesting. Some people have been giving me credit, by the way, recently that I'm like the first to talk about FSR 3.0 being accelerated by RDNA 3. I'm not going to double down on that yet, but this is potentially laying the groundwork for some future FSR to be accelerated in RDNA 3 and for way, way, way better machine learning performance with RDNA 3, which is interesting because I've had some of my professional contacts say that their AMD contacts are indicating RDNA 3 is going to get serious about machine learning. So all of this lines up and sounds reasonable to me too. I don't know. Do you have anything to say about this? Not too much. I mean, if Intel and uh, NVIDIA are truly leveraging uh, AI to uh, increase performance in gaming. I think if AMD doesn't do that, they're going to be left in the lurch at some point, though. <laughs> you know, that's true. Completely ignoring one tech is not ideal if that tech is actually being used well by, AM, uh, by, not AMD, by NVIDIA and Intel. Yeah, and what I would just add on to all of this is don't underestimate how good RDNA 3 may be at some things like machine learning and ray tracing. Well, and, I don't uh, think it's the one that doubles down on it all the way, like RDNA 4 for in, with regards to ray tracing, but it is going for it way harder than RDNA 2, guys. Yeah, and just as far as like machine learning goes, also uh, gaming isn't the only market. I'm sure uh, I'm sure AMD sees the dollar signs for uh, research or <laughs> for research and industry with uh, being able to do better machine learning. Mm-hmm. All right. On this note of upcoming tech, Karino Sugata writes in, says, hi, Tom and Dan. For hardware expected to come out this year, I feel that we know in rough terms what they're going to be like in terms of traditional performance, but we just don't know all the details yet, whether it's pricing, exact implementation of the specs like Navi 31, or the actual measured performance in some metrics. What details are you most interested in finding out about something like Raptor Lake, Zen 4, RDNA 3, Lovelace? phoenix or any or meteor like coming out within the next i don't know let's call it uh 10 months i mean for like raptor lake i'm interested in seeing the 
big little core scheduling how well that's used in video games and for a and then for as far as graphics cards go for both of them i or i guess all companies because intel's involved mm-hmm. now is i, I want to see how rasterization compares to uh compares to uh ray trace performance <laughs> i i i want to see if that continue if ray tracing continues to accelerate faster than raster because i i still don't think it's there as a super useful feature yet but i think in one or two generations it could be and i think that's something i brought up on the pc world the full nerd podcast last week is like at what point do they go yeah the main focus is ray tracing or not even main half of the focus is Mm -hmm. ray tracing now like where we're actually willing to have a substantially larger ray tracing increase than rasterization increase because we just have enough because you know i i think that right now we could still use more raster but you know if rdna3 and lovelace really double raster performance right at what point do you just go we got it (laughs) (laughs) at least for the time being Mm -hmm. and again i think people hear that and they go well games get harder to run and i go I know I didn't say they're not going to increase raster every gen. I'm just saying it kind of becomes exponential. They double it now when they, let's say it's like 80% more, even 60% more with RDNA three. So you're talking about what then over triple now? Like, yeah, I don't know when you have mid range cards that can do 4k 120, you know, GG easy. (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't know. Like, and, and honestly, what I'm kind of hearing is RDNA 3 is way more under a, a, a ray tracing increase than RDNA 2, and that RDNA 2 just wanted to get it done and have it not add a bunch to the power consumption if you turn it on in low amounts, which it doesn't. It's actually very efficient ray tracing if you turn it down. Um, but with RDNA 3, they're going for it harder. For me, it kind of I'm starting to get whispers that RDNA 4 is just going for a mega ray tracing increase. And I'd assume Blackwell from NVIDIA is as well mm-hmm. and seeing the ray tracing increase on those generations and rdna3 and lovelace that's what i'm really most interested in because that one's the biggest wild card for me right i think can't we agree the reason we're interested in that it's just the biggest wild card we know how it's gonna yeah. perform in raster by now yeah <laughs> and then i guess the other thing i'm interested in this isn't really hardware i, I i'm continually interested in how much uh fsr is going to be getting adopted over time because I, I think that's think the of big that too, thing yeah. lacking with AMD at this point is FSR is still lacking in adoption. Absolutely. And just it all comes together. DLSS, FSR. I just want XE Super Sampling. I want every game, no matter what card I have, to be able to boost the frame rate. Like, that's it. Yeah. And I, I don't know if we'll see that because I think you would need at least two of the solutions in every game, which... <laughs> Who knows? Maybe that will become more. Not really, because Intel's going to have at least a version that lightly boosts everyone. Oh, and that's so is true. AMD. So it's really just if NVIDIA pushes the other guys out. <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right. Let us then move on to the wrap up here. This is the smaller little bite sized stories that didn't get their own story, but are worth mentioning. Um, so the first one I have here is a new i9 engineering sample. This is engineering sample month, apparently, <laughs> um, or just year came out and uh, 5.5 gigahertz um, 
for the single core boost 5.3 gigahertz multi-core. Didn't say how sustained it was though, but this comes from HXL who on Twitter, who this person, I, I don't think ever makes things up at the very least. So I don't know. I just think it's interesting to see these aren't boost clocks quite as high as what AMD's already shown off with Zen four, but it's clear they're both going to boost really high. Um, this one here probably requires even more talk. Um, Dr. Ian Cutrus on Twitter said that he knows that Micron is suggesting the DDR5 ramp will be slower because there won't be a number of DDR5 supported CPUs in the market as expected. And he told people, no, 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 this isn't like Raphael or Raptor like guys that do it yourself volume is small that they, mm-hmm. they're not doing anything based on those sales. Sapphire Rapids, another suggestion he says a shot across the bow that sapphire rapids really might be a mid next year product i've been talking to a new server contact behind the scenes who's also saying the same to me that it really seems like sapphire rapids might be mid 2023 um not good that's all i can say really (laughs) yeah Yeah. i i don't know what to add to that except that well a little tidbit i got this week too was and this is what I've been alluding to. Like Emerald Rapids is already expected late 2023. If Sapphire Rapids is mid 2023, why would I believe Emerald Rapids is next year? I think it's probably early 2024 next to Turin. Just going to wipe it off the floor. And this server contact said the same thing. He said it's insanely unlikely. That one's also not delayed at least three months. Well, and yeah, that is unless they finally catch up with their delays in engineering, which there's just no reason to believe that. Might yeah. they slow it down? Yes, but I'm sorry. If Sapphire Rapids is, let's say, May next year, I just... Emerald Rapids is very end of the year at the earliest, I think. And is it going to get delayed as much as Sapphire? No, that's not... I'm not suggesting they all get bumped as far. But they get bumped a little. Um, PCIe 7.0 specification finalized, Dan. If you are ready for one... Actually, where is this? One lane is equal to... Uh, eight lane uh, to all 16 of 2.0. One lane of PCIe 7.0 is all 16 of 2.0. Yeah, that's uh, that's how you do the uh, exponential or <laughs> two, uh, what would that be two to the fifth, right? <laughs> yeah, um, we have a El Capitan supercomputer with two exaflops of double precision compute. With MI three hundred APUs planned, um, I <laughs> I remember when um s- supercomputers were still measuring things in uh petaflops, Tom. Well, did you know that the Xbox One has more teraflops than all computers in nineteen ninety? Wasn't it dumber that wasn't it like they said the cloud has more their cloud has more computing power or something like that like that. Not that oh, probably. I don't remember what Microsoft said at that uh, that infamous Xbox One reveal. People forget that everyone talks about the TV stuff. There was just a lot of nuggets in there that weren't even what people remember. Um, I don't have anything else to say about that, though. This one probably requires a little bit of discussion here. So I, I'm, here's a quote from a recent interview with AMD's Sam Nafziger. I hope I'm saying that right. Um He says, in quotes, performance is king, but even if our designs are more efficient, that doesn't mean you don't push power levels up if the competition is doing the same. It's just that they'll have to push them a lot higher to compete. So 
I just think that's interesting because a lot of people are talking about how like Lovelace is going to be less efficient, but now Lovelace might win. And a lot of these people I'm seeing tweeting this, I don't think are the people that are talking to the same people I am at AMD that are still confident in RDNA 3. Like, again, guys, like the, the overall plan for Lovelace, to my understanding, the expectation was it'd be about 70 or something to 80 something percent better than Ampere. Now they're pushing it. Maybe it'll get to double, a little bigger than double. Well, AMD was already looking at about doubling performance at about like 375 watts. Mm -hmm. So if AMD pushes it to 450, where do you think they're going to be, guys? (laughs) (laughs) Not 3X, but I don't know. AMD, I'm just hearing right. AMD's almost publicly saying we're going to crush them in efficiency. And I'm still hearing behind the scenes, AMD wants to attempt a clean sweep this time. Um. I mean, I guess we'll see. <laughs> I don't think. I don't know. I don't maybe I'm going to let that happen easily, but. Or, or may, I don't think a, uh, NVIDIA would push their cards to. Maybe I'm wrong, would push their cards to 600 watts unless that would give them the performance crown because that's not good marketing otherwise. I think they would. Okay. I think if they won by 5% or even if they just tied the crown, which at the end of the day, these are all going to be so absurdly powerful. They're going to be trading blows probably no matter what. Um, I think they want to be able to claim that. And, and again, then they'll just maybe make the 480, 4080, like 400 watts or something, like 200 watts less. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I agree that if they were going to lose by 10%, it's not worth it. But maybe they don't see it that way either. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I think this is worth pointing out. There are several new 4K 144 hertz gaming monitors for like really reasonable prices compared to a couple of years ago. We have a ViewSonic one that's 4K 144 hertz, not HDR, for $600. And then you have a new Sony one, which I guess Hardware Unboxes is a surprise champion for 4K HDR gaming out of nowhere. Sony launches this Zone M9. That is 144 hertz with, they said, very, very good HDR for $900. Yeah, and um, I don't know. <laughs> it's expensive, but the prices are coming down a bit. A uh, bit more than they, a bit less insane than they used to be, I suppose. Again, this is the thing where you look at it and you're like, okay, well, now you don't have to like feel bad about wanting to get, like, you don't need to get a $1,200 48-inch TV. 900 for really good hdr the right size higher frame like that's it's good mm-hmm. they're not complete crap anymore and if you don't want hdr which i would understand if you don't care yet 600 bucks gets you 4k 144 hertz finally yeah. um in a new device that doesn't have tons of drawbacks as far as i can tell okay and then we have ino is launching a discrete gpu handheld gaming device with an <laughs> with an intel dedicated gpu in it <laughs> I just thought that was worth pointing out. It's interesting. And they have an AMD version that presumably comes with a 6500M. That actually might be a sick mobile gaming handheld. Yeah, I just be. wonder what its battery life is. Um, My bet is not good. Because, wait, what does it say? It comes with Zen 3 Plus. Okay. Huh. Because I wonder how out. low you're clocking these to make that happen. And it's going to have a... 47 watts so a comparable battery to the uh theme deck yeah huh i don't know like that i I think the lowest the 6500m goes to is 25 watts 
Yeah. Unless so there's a might... 6300M I'm not aware of. Let me look. I'm curious. AMD 6300M, is that a thing? It is a thing. Okay, it's 12 compute units. Huh? Oh, maybe they're like using a 15 watt version. It only has two gigabytes of RAM, though. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I yeah. want to know what the sacrifice is because I don't think it's going to be easy to pull off. Because they already talk about like battery life, you know, we've just did with the Steam Deck using like 20 watts, 15 watts. Like if the whole thing here presumably uses like 40 watts, yeah, it's like an hour of battery life. Yeah. Unless Maybe. they can throw in a bigger battery than their other models. Which yeah, we'll I guess, which I guess we don't know yet. Yeah. Um, and then uh, what else was there here? I also thought this was interesting. Uh, like I said, a lot of handhelds are starting to get the seven, the 6800U, which is the 12 compute unit Rembrandt with a 65 watt hour battery. So this is, and it has a kickstand on it in case you want to plug a controller in, which I think is cool too. So I don't know, a lot of, and, and, and specifically this one's interesting to me because it can run SteamOS, which I've yeah. heard a lot of reviews for these handheld PC gaming devices. They suck because like Linus tore into several of them. Like this is just a nightmare in the drivers trying to like <laughs> use this thing on a tiny seven inch screen in windows 10. So I think for me, steam OS support would be nice. paramount. Yeah. All right. Let us then move on to the final reader mails. J Maddie ice writes in, he says, hi, Tom and Dan. What do you think about the recent announcement of ARM's new CPU and GPU core designs? I've heard some YouTubers saying that some ARM chips had the potential for a 110% performance increase gen over gen. What is keeping us from using ARM chips more often in laptops besides Qualcomm's poor chip design? Well, if you use it in Android, they make plenty of good chips. Now, I don't know where this 110% thing comes from, though. When I look, it looks like they're just talking about having like maybe up to Raptor Lake per core performance clocked a lot lower kind of what this sounds like to me yeah so if they can uh if, if their performance scales past uh if their performance scales uh well with a higher increase in energy okay maybe it starts becoming viable in laptops but um i don't know if that's the case with uh the current qualcomm arm cpus exactly that's the case and, and I'm looking, again, links in the description, guys. I'm looking at the Cortex-X3. They say this offers performance, like, what is it, like 28% better than an Alder Lake i7? It's, and it's a mobile one. So they're, like, basically saying 28 watt to 28 watt or 20% better. But it's not out yet. So compare this to Raptor Lake, and it's probably pretty close. And then you remember, oh, yeah, Intel's using 10 nanometer. I don't think Qualcomm is. They're maybe using five. And then compare it to how efficient Phoenix would be. They're not really ahead of AMD and Intel by as much as you'd think. And so if you were to make a laptop with it that has to emulate x86, you lose a ton of performance. Yeah. And Apple's able to do it because they just will go back and reprogram every app to the metal for their architecture themselves. And their emulation is also pretty dang good. For Windows, I think it's a disaster from what I've heard trying to run half of these games on an ARM or pro I should say apps in general on an ARM processor. So Yeah, which that's a big problem with ARM. Uh <laughs> it's just not widely adopted for that application. Right. So what I would say to Jay Matty Ice is 
I don't know where the 110% performance increase comes from, and I don't know what that's over. Is that over a chip from a few years ago? I don't think that's over Alder Lake before Intel and AMD already have their own competitors out anyways. Um, but that's how much better it would have to be to emulate x86 well in a laptop to make it worth it. And you'd still want half your apps to be natively written for ARM, mm-hmm. which, with, which Microsoft's working on to a certain extent, to be fair. But you'd want to do that to make it worth it at all over just using the stuff you know is going to work um x86 isn't as far behind as some people hype up guys uh, intel was just stagnating okay manor down writes in finer reader mail does tom and david this is dan or wait we said your name was david and die shrink or something didn't yes we? we did all right manor down <laughs> tom and david how long has it been making new how has it been making new nerd friends? You've had so many guests on and even gone to do podcasts with others. I love the full nerd episode. Yeah, it turned out really well. I recommend it, guys. Look it up. I thought we had a great time, me and Gordon. Does your professional relationships with these guys bleed into personal life? Or are you good at keeping work friends separate from personal friends? Um, I'm not opposed to meeting some of them. I've almost met a couple people, including a couple of my sources when they've been around. Back when I was in Illinois, one of them messaged me and was like, I just realized I drove past you. Uh, <laughs> shoot, we should have gotten a beer. But uh, of course, I won't say which source. But um, yeah, I mean, I what is it like to meet all these people? I don't know, because it's just been kind of a slow burn. You know, at first I was kind of talking to s- smaller tech tubers here and there, relatively speaking. Some bigger ones out of the gate talk to me, though. And then over time, I've been talking to just people who work at Intel and AMD and own companies even sometimes like for me the craziest is like daniel nenny or dave eggleston who's just like the a vp at micron or something and he's just like yeah what's up he's a normal guy you like talking about this stuff he's fun to talk to he's easy to get a hold of like i i just think um I, what it's been like it's been a lot of fun and i know dan let me ask you dan actually i mean me and you were fans of Hardware Unboxed before I made this YouTube channel. What was it like to just be on a live chat for two or three hours with them? And then we talked to them for 30 minutes after the chat was over, and they were, like, really funny and personable with us for, you know, offline. You know, I, I, I don't know. It's kind of funny. I mean, it's <laughs> they're easy to talk to and get along with. I, I don't know what else to add to that. Like, there, I don't know if there was like a big wow moment that happened with me. Maybe there should have been. I don't know. But, but it's like we've been a frog that's boiling slowly. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I've never like met a super, super famous person before, but I like to think I wouldn't freak out if I did. And yeah, that they're like mostly normal or something. Although right? it's a little funny. The weird equation of what being famous is these days because hardware unboxed has like what 500,000 subscribers or something no like they're at like eight almost 900,000 okay. <laughs> i guess i haven't looked at the their subscribers. i think about that too because like i think it's me and bit. you like we're a fan of a lot of comedians right just to add into what you're saying and a lot of them have youtube channels that we watch every day like i don't yeah. know jeremiah watkins or something where they're getting like you know i don't know 50 70 000 subs or something and like ten thousand views a podcast and it's like, who is really famous? Because Hardware Unboxed, I mean, he has way more subs than some of the comedians we follow. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a little funny. Like, eh? they, they've they made a pretty good name for themselves. And I mean, I don't know. I guess I guess this channel has too, it, when you think about it as well. Like 130,000 people isn't a small number. 
Uh, I believe it's over 134,000, Dan. I'll have you know. I, I, I was rounding. If it was at 135, Tom, you could have said, Dan, it's actually closer to 140. But I could have. That would have been technically correct if it was like 135,001. I would have said <laughs> it's closer to 140 to the 130,000, Dan. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all of the uh, final reader mails and all of the stories. I think we had a. Rather robust episode once again, even if it was a slower news cycle. This is why we do them every two weeks for the news instead of every week. Um, any last words, Dan? Any final things to say to all of these these adoring fans of David? Um, just, uh, uh, you know, I'm the best. I'm never wrong. Is that a good way to thing to end on? I think that type of attitude gets you a lot of friends in the YouTube comments. I've found. Yes, yeah. And take that 100% seriously, everyone. All right. You heard it here first. Dan's never wrong, and he thinks you should get bent if you disagree with him. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just remember, everybody, um, if <laughs> we can't do this without your support, subscribe to Moore's Laws Dead on YouTube, ring the bell button, ring whatever new buttons they add. Check if we upload videos and share them, hopefully, because sometimes we just don't have our videos shown to our fans. It really sucks when you put all that effort into it. And if, you know, subscribe to Broken Silicon uh, on your podcast app of choice, especially subscribing and giving us a review on Apple Podcasts really helps get out the word. It's like a non-YouTube avenue to have people discover us. I have had some advertisers and fans Join us from the Apple Podcast Avenue because it got recommended to them when we were charting every now and then. We have been in the top 20 technology podcasts on Apple Podcasts before. And when that happens, it gets recommended to a ton of people. So if you can, if you have a chance, go to Apple, then just do that as well. And then uh, also consider supporting us on Patreon. You can submit reader mails for these episodes, submit reader mails to guests, get exclusive access to Die Shrink. You get this early. You'll get access to the Discord, requestions on loose ends. Every now and then we do extra podcasts and content that goes out for the patrons. There's so much content there. If you support us for just $2, $4 a month, we really can't do this without our patrons. And uh, besides that, I know, keep reseeing your thoughts and prayers. Although, trust me, she's just sleeping on a chair right now and is going to go for a walk. So she's happy. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Have a good week, everybody. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans... Patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, 
please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Full, A.V., Anthony Gareffa, Greg Pataki, Mohamed Al-Khwari, Brett Jones, Aaron Close, Little Germany, Jan Rauner, Daniel Hyde, Ivan Gay, Brian Riggleman, Dr. Vorman, Sam Miller, Deke, Thomas Rupp, The Mechanical Philosopher, Terrence Herrett, SNES Chalmers, Tom Bailey, Greg T. Wanchuk, Andrew S., Frank Zielinski, Daniel D., MJB1, Eric Jackson, Justice Brennan, Sammy Good, Falco Maleb, The Boss Haas, Nicholas Buckner, Spantrum G. Spantrum, Jonathan, Lord Starscream, General Drips, Blake, Franco Frederick, Matthew Lazier, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Aziris, Gregory S. Acker, Dominique Cock, Jake Dude 23, Jake Martin, My Name Is Nobody, Caillou Markelli, Hardforum.com, Original Ross, Slicky, Stefan, David Cowan, Ricky Tan, Christopher A. Butler, Jeezy Ziggy, Sarcastro, Stefan Hart, Jason B., Meat and Pork, Stu, Tim Robb, Luis Correa, Ian Clifford, Jesse Jaskowiak, Travis Gooding, Holden Mobley, Nanan, Chris Rich, Deepest Learners, Mads, Zoot Zoot Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Chuck Glidden, Sammy Malas, Greg, Ah Trini, Patrick Grow, Amy Chief, Brett Summers, Danny Nugent, Stephen Dick, Tommy, Kunden, Brucha, Mark Mitchell, McDuffie, Delmaine Peterson, D- James Anderson, Y. Truy, Mark Raidmaker, Seth Domines, 3DS Boy 08, Hal Buma, Norithio, Mandola, Matthew Landavazo, Stefan, Coladic, Henry Zhang, Judson N, Brendan O'Connell, The Grin, Michelle Pell, D31337 Antics, Jason Bowen, Noah Nicuela, Hexapuma, Chrysantine, Jerome Ferriera, Zabito 3, DeSis, Thomas A. Teef, Klein Britannian, DNA Tech, 50C Desert, Axel Cisneros, Royce Mayer, Charles Russell, Reginald Aria, Morpheus, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, JSMMH, Sandy Garrido Saunderson, David Eastland, Cameron, Andre Jacques, Damon Sixregan, Jeff Sadler, Eric Osborne, Loophole 35, Winstar, Joker, James One Radner, Corey Leonard, Sammy Malas, John Shin, Justin Bustle, Kelfin, Austin Haggerty, Roger Davies, The Boss Hot, and Niall Lima. And thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs>